What up, guys and gals, dudes and dudettes? It's your boy Rick here, the host of the No Soliciting Experience. I just want to ask you guys a huge favor before we get into today's podcast is if you guys find value, if there's something that you learned, if there's something that you can apply today, I just ask that you share it with friends, coworkers, managers, owners, whatever it may be. If you find value in today's episode, just share it on your social media. Tag me, as you know, most active on social on social media through Instagram, at um, no soliciting bruh. So yeah, let's uh, get into it. Cue the music and get on to today's episode. guys gals welcome back to the no soliciting experience super excited for today's episode um today we have on a guest jake loveland jake's thank you so much for coming on brother appreciate everything that you do appreciate you know taking time out of your day for people that don't know who you are do you mind taking a few minutes and just kind of giving your story of how you got into the industry and where you're at right now yeah absolutely so i've been in the industry for long time. I started in the industry in, uh, in 2012, which in the door-to-door industry, I believe makes me a senior citizen. Um, that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty long time. Uh, I can't, I got off of a, a mission for my church, Church Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, that was, it was a tough decision for me to make. Actually, I had a couple of really great internships lined up and through just a weird series of events, ended up getting in touch with this guy who who was trying to recruit me to sell sell pest control, uh-huh. and it was ultimately. I still remember this moment sitting in front of the whiteboard with these two internships and and the door to door, you know, experience that laid out laid out all in front of me, and just trying to go back and forth, trying to decide. And ultimately, I decided to bet on myself and and give it a shot, see what happens. Uh, there's obviously a lot more risk with door to door, but I decided to, to give it a go. Uh, did that and loved it. Uh, was there, uh, sold for several years. Uh, I tried leaving the industry a couple of times. I, I tried my hand in, uh, in HR. I tried my hand in, in software sales, in customer service training. I tried my hand kind of in a bunch of different places and, and ultimately just kept finding myself coming back to door to door and, most recently uh, was the VP of sales, then the chief revenue officer for uh, Ardent Pest Control and just sharing all my experience and knowledge with the sales force there and, and just having to blast really great people over there. Yeah. So that's interesting that you bring that up because I've, I've tried to leave to the extreme of I left the country and I went across the world. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, what, what do you think it is? Because there's so many people who try to leave who leave and then just something just brings them back for you. What, what do you think it was that, that, you know, brought you back to the industry? Yeah. A couple things. The, the biggest for me was working with people. I ultimately, I just loved working with people. I loved meeting new people on the doors, right? Every time you knock on a door, it's like a Christmas present. You have no idea what's going to be on the other side of that door. When it opens, it could be, uh, your best friend uh, going forward, or it could be uh, your your worst enemy, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then everywhere in between. And it's just such a a great way to understand people and to get to know people in the world. And so that was a huge part of it. And then obviously the the fact that you can control your own um, you can control your own experience, right? You can control your outcome. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. And I guess the last part about it that really intrigued me is that it allowed me to explore these different areas, right? 
in between the summers, like I said, I worked in HR, I worked in customer service, I worked at all these different areas. I basically did a, 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 a circuit through everywhere in business. And I was able to always come back uh, to door to door as a way to uh, regroup, make a ton of money, and and then allow myself to do whatever I wanted to explore in the off season. That's a very interesting concept you bring up because there's so many people who do that. Like I had a call the other day with some kid out of St. George who does like pressure washing during the off season. And yeah. he's, he's grown his business over the last two years, just pressure washing and just a lot of miscellaneous stuff. But again, he started himself during the off season and then he hired on a few guys to take on the work during the summer. He made all his money, reinvested everything he earned from the summer into his business. And now he, he's basically just knocks because he has fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Door to door offers this, this opportunity that, that really you can't find anywhere else. And that's this safety net, right? No matter what happens, you know, with your career, you know, barring any, you know, physical dangers or, or injury or anything like that, you can always go back and knock doors. Um, you know, someone asked me when I, uh, I recently left Ardent and, and to do my own thing, we'll talk about that in a bit, but somebody asked me, well, what's your safety net? What happens if you, you know, a year from now aren't making any money? Well, I'll just go knock doors, right? I've got this safety net built in because I have the experience of knocking doors. I know I can go sling a bunch of accounts in a couple of weeks, build myself a nest egg, and then go back to the grindstone. So Yeah, that's the crazy thing about it is most people, it's, it's interesting how your paradigm is, this is my safety net. For some people, this is the sole thing. Like, this is like, hey, if, you know, crap hits the fan, I know I can fall back on this and just recoup everything that I may have lost, everything that I need. Um, and it's you can do anything door to door. I remember at one point, me and my buddy, just to prove a point, we sold American flags. I think it was on Memorial Day. We went around door to door selling American flags, the USA flags, and then we would upsell them on the installation. No way. That's yeah. awesome. It, it it first started as like, hey, you want to buy an American flag for Memorial Day? And then a lady asked us, well, how much would you charge me to inst- to put it up? And we're like, I don't know, like 20 bucks. We didn't have a ladder. We didn't have any tools. <laughs> so we went to Walmart, took all our earnings from the first few flags, went to Walmart, got a ladder, got a drill, got everything, came back, installed it. And then that's what we we're doing for the rest of the day. We started with the base flag and then upsold them on the installation. You can literally sell anything door to door. And that's, that's the crazy thing about it. Yeah, it it is really, there there are very few industries in the world that are like door to door. It's really fascinating. Oh yeah. So with the recent shift from Ardent to, well, what what are you doing now? Now that you're not at Ardent. Yeah. So I I left to start a coaching practice, Mm -hmm. um, specifically focusing on leadership. Yeah. uh, And in the door to door world. A little bit of backstory to that. After my third summer, I got into a a gnarly motorcycle accident. Um, I was I was unable to work or go to school for about a year, year and a half. Uh, it was right um, at the let's see, it was right before the summer started. I just bought a house, so I had no cash flow, uh, and my, my opportunity, my safety net that we just talked about was taken away from me. I was Mm -hmm. in this accident, wasn't unable to work. And so then there's a lot of financial stress there. There was a lot of emotional stress. And I was at this point where I couldn't even read a text message without getting super sick. I just, I, I couldn't focus on anything. So I laid in the dark, uh, in my room all day long, for two or three months. And I would just listen to audio books or anything audio I could do. I just couldn't do anything visual, couldn't watch movies or anything. And that was the most depressing point of my entire life. I, it was just so hard for me. I, I, I there, it was dark. There, there were times where I was like, is this even worth living anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, none of the doctors could figure out what was wrong with me. I was seeing, you know, specialists all over the country. No one could figure this out and really hard time. And uh, eventually the physical side effects started to wear off, but the emotional ones were still there. And so I started seeing a therapist working with counselors. 
and really understanding the world of mental health. And then I came back into the industry and merged the two of those. And it was really powerful for me to see, wait, these techniques that I learned on the mental health side uh, are going to help me with leadership, are going to help me with, um, you know, with selling. I think you had Corey Clark on your uh, podcast uh, before. Mm-hmm. Huge fan of what Corey's doing. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, he's he he's amazing, and, and what he's teaching is, is spot on. I'm doing. I'm not doing the same thing as him. My focus is on leadership. Yeah, uh, he, and and applying those mental health principles to the leadership and to um, to helping people find a balance of faith family and door to door. Those three things can coexist, Mm -hmm. which before my accident, I didn't believe, but after the accident, I was forced into through really necessity. I just was trying to survive. I had to find a balance between those three things. Yeah. So there's a lot of people within the industry who go back and forth between the faith. Um, yeah, dude, how did you how did you come up with those three pillars as your foundation? Yeah. Ultimately, it's just figuring out what what it was that really mattered to me in my life. And my family was was drastically important to me. Um obviously that is I think most people would agree that's where most of us are going to get the most fulfillment out of life is through our familial relationships. And, uh, for me, that's a a wife and four and a half kids and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're everything to me and I love them. And so finding a way to spend time with them and balance that relationship with them. So they feel like they're a priority, even when I'm knocking all across the country became really important to me. And then the same thing with faith. You know, the, the door-to-door industry, especially in pest control, but a lot of them is very of a very much a sprint mentality. You know, just sprint for four months, get everything out of the summer you can, and then you can kind of take your foot off the gas and coast during the off-season and then sprint again. But I found out that the way I was doing it is I was hurting my relationship with, with God, and I was hurting my relationship with my family uh, in the way that I was doing it. And so changing that has helped me to be more effective in all three categories. Okay. I have, I have a question and this Please. is, this is um, cause we, we all have it, right? I know for a while I was going off of a schedule. So I had scheduled times for everything. So I quote unquote had boundaries, like time boundaries. I feel like, yes, that's good. But at the same time, how were you able to, if, if you were able to grow past the time, the time boundaries and figure out what boundaries you have for faith, family, and work, if, if that yeah. makes sense. So beyond the time boundaries? Yeah. Because I feel like time boundaries, it's almost like, hey, it's eight o'clock, um, cut off everything from work. And, you know, sometimes stuff comes up, for example, right? Maybe not eight o'clock, but for an example, if I say at eight o'clock, I'm done with work, everything, else, everything past this is family time, but right. now it's causing a strain on work. Yeah. So yeah, that's a really good point. What, what I did for myself was tie in um, a start and an end time to my family time. Right. So during the off season and during the, um, w- when I wasn't traveling during the summer, uh, you know, visiting all the sales reps, I set aside five to 7 PM every single day was non-negotiable family time. Now that 7 PM was really important because like you said, things are going to happen. And in the door-to-door sales world, a lot of stuff happens at night, right? Seven o'clock uh, here is nine o'clock Eastern time. That's when people are getting off the doors. They're going to have tons of questions, right? They're going to have things that they want to talk about. Um, and, and so I needed to make myself available after that. But I, I, I found a time that I felt like was best for my family and um, was minimal impact on the business. So for me, it was, and then just sticking to that, it took me about a year and a half uh, of just really drilling that into people 
where they started to remember that and stopped calling me then, or they would text me and say, Hey, after your family time, give me a call. But it, it took a lot of work. Um, so for me, the, the time boundary was really important, but it was really important to make sure that I had time at the very end of the day to catch up on work just because for whatever reason, that's kind of the nature of the door-to-door industry. No, yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. And I feel like the hardest thing, because for me, right, it's very hard to be present as a mm-hmm. leader when you yeah. have so many moving parts. Yeah. So yeah. what do you what do you think has helped you aside from establishing these time boundaries to just allow you to be present and just I mean, I'm not saying that you know you don't have these days where you're not thinking about work while you're sure. with family. Yeah. So kind of jumping back a little bit. So you you mentioned for kind of tips beyond the time boundaries. um, And that was just not necessarily when I was traveling, I couldn't have those time boundaries. So I just had non-negotiable in my mind items that I had to fit into every day. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them was, you know, FaceTiming my kids. Uh, The other one, a big one for me was I would, I would FaceTime in at the end of the day for family prayer. And it didn't matter if I was on the door with somebody, like literally, if I got a phone call, I would step off and be like, Hey, family prayer. I'll be back in a second. I'd go do my family prayer with my, uh, you know, via FaceTime and then come back. So it was just those little things, those, though, that consistency. And that really meant a lot to my wife were things that she knew that she could count on where she knew that every time, um, I ate lunch, I was going to give her a call or a text or she'd mm-hmm. hear from me. And that my kids knew that every time, every time I got on an airplane, I would send them a video of me getting onto the airplane because they love airplanes. Yeah. Um, and so they start to expect uh, there's, there's a routine there, something that they can rely on even in the craziness of life, right? Uh, even in the craziness of, of the schedule, there are things that they knew would always happen and that they could rely on, even if they couldn't rely on me being home from five to six. Yeah. Uh, so th- th- that's what I did to kind of beyond the time boundaries, uh, specifically with travel. And then I totally got off traffic. I, I don't remember what your, your question was just now. Um, how being present. being present. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of us have, I mean, in door to door, I think it's really easy to explain this. A lot of us have seen the experience where you knock on someone's door. They don't know anything about you except that you're, you know, handsome and smiling and, they just lose their mind and they just start yelling at you, swearing at you, cursing your family and, and, and everyone you've ever known. And that makes no sense logically. Like they literally know nothing about you. The only reason that they're doing that is they are bringing some emotional baggage from a previous situation into that one. Mm-hmm. So it could be that they just got fired or their wife and them are getting in a fight or maybe, you know, um, the previous door-to-door sales rep that they talked to was rude to them. So they're carrying that baggage into this conversation. Uh, so we all do that in our lives as well. You know, if I'm at work and I get a phone call from my wife and I'm upset, um, you know, uh, she's upset with me or we get in an argument. When I go back into the office I'm going to take that with me and I'm going to either directly or indirectly start taking that out on people. Yeah. So the, the thing that's really helped to me and, and I use with my clients is to help them find emotional uh, presence. Mm-hmm. And to do that is, is really just simple to find ways to check in where you're at emotionally, just uh, naming it to taming it. Right. Uh, that that's common in the mental health industry, name it to tame it. And, just identifying the feelings that you're feeling before you move on to the next situation. Mm-hmm. So if you leave the door and that person was super mean to you, just take a second and say, wow, I'm really bad that that person reacted that way. Um, uh, I'm really nervous that I'm not going to get a sale today. Mm-hmm. And just kind of going through what the feelings are that you're feeling. And that really helps you to be present the next time. Cause then you're not trying to identify your mind's trying to figure out what just happened. But if you can take a second, identify it, then when you go into the next situation, you're going to be a lot more present. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's very true. I agree with that. 100%. That's what it is. Cause 
for myself, <clears throat> I know that I rely on past situations to help me at every single door. Sure. I think more often than not, we just kind of go through the motions and that causes us to, you know, not be present. We just, I don't know. It's, it, it's almost like we're told to go knock and knock and say these words in the specific order, overcome right. objections in this different way. And it becomes so monotonous. So what, what could be some things like very simply put to like raise the, raise the awareness and raise being present on the doors? Yeah. Yeah. So I do, uh, I do, uh, I've got a five-step program or a five-step um, emotional check-in is what I call mm -hmm. it. And I check in on myself in five different categories of my life. Um, and so on the doors, you are likely, uh, when you're going through the motions, like you said, what it really is, is that you've got no point where you can do this somewhat automatically. And your mind is thinking about something else, something else that your mind is telling you is more pressing than what is going on right now. Um, and so kind of going through and realizing, taking a step back and say, Hey, why is my mind thinking about X, Y, and Z? Why is that important to me? And just asking yourself those questions because, uh, it, it takes just a ton of internal communication, right? I do, uh, uh, I'll write down things, uh, on the doors, um, you know, in between doors, uh, you know, I know a lot of people will go out there and write like, on each door, they'll write down something they're grateful for or something like that. And I, and I love that. That's really helpful. Uh, something that's really helped me as well is just to write down some way that I'm feeling. Uh, one of the feelings that I'm feeling in the different categories of life. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm, I'm a door-to-door -door sales rep. You know, I'm the VP of sales. I'm uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a son of God, right? How am I feeling in all these different categories? And I'll just write those down in between doors. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to identify those feelings that I have. And then when people do answer, when I do start talking to people, I can be way more engaged because I've told myself and kind of comforted myself by identifying those feelings. Interesting. I feel like there has to be a lot of internal dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Internal dialogue, external dialogue helps a lot as well. Um, one of the reasons that, that people like Corey Clark and myself are, can be really beneficial um, working with a coach to, to help with that. Um, also, you know, your spouse, your, your teams, just having conversations about how you're actually feeling uh, can be really powerful. So yeah, it, it takes a lot of dialogue. It, it really does. Yeah. A lot of dialogue. And I think that's one thing that, in a sense, we lack. This is one of the things that Corey and I, we went over a lot is the lack of communication, not just between us and ourselves, but us and our leadership or us and the people who, you know, we lead and us and regionals, us and owners. There is almost like we expect people to know what's going on in our mind and we expect people to know what to do, but we ourselves can't even, you know, formulate those words out. And if we can't express, communicate what it is that one, we feel and two that we want and three that we need help with, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the culture of the door-to-door -door industry has kind of taught us to invalidate our feelings, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, there's this, there's this expression we hear, uh, it's kind of an older expression now, but it's, there's no crying in baseball, right? Um, basically suck it up, just get out there, rub some dirt in it, move on. Mm -hmm. um, don't show people that you're hurting. And, and there's a reason for that. And that is um, you have a responsibility, right? At, at, when, when your team leader says, hey, suck it up, get out there. What he's telling you is you have responsibility to me, to the team to perform today and, and to you and to your family. So get out there and do it. Don't let these emotions hold you back. Um, but I, I, I think it's really not a big calibration. It's just a slight one. But if, if we can just say, look, I'm really sad today, or I'm really nervous. I'm really frustrated, whatever your feelings are. And I'm still in the game, right? I'm really sad today. Just acknowledging that. And I'm still going to go knock all the doors that I told everyone I was going to go ahead and knock mm -hmm. instead of saying, nope, there are no emotions. I'm just going out there. Just taking a second, acknowledge it and then say, yeah, I'm still in the game. You can still count on me. 
I'm sad and I'm going to keep working really hard. Yeah. How, how much in your experience, cause this, this is, this has hurt, this has helped me and it's also like hurt me yeah. throughout the years. It's just expressing to myself, Hey guys, like I got stuff that I got going on. Um, when I first started, it would be just, Hey, I got stuff I got going on. Just be patient with me. And then as I got more comfortable with my guys and my guys got more comfortable with me, I would go into almost like exactly what I was going through. Sometimes it helped me. Sometimes it didn't. How do you gauge as a leader, like that situation of like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm hurting too. I know you guys are hurting. I got my stuff I'm going through. How do you gauge how open you can be with your reps? Yeah. It really depends on, on your relationship with them. And I would say most importantly is, is how you treat their emotions. Um, I, I, I tend to err on the side of being very open with my reps. I'd rather be too open than not open enough. I think that allows for communication. Um, and, and there are also times where it's appropriate to not go into all the details because uh, that can be kind of heavy for some, for some reps. So for me, it, it starts with, um, yeah, it, it, it is a tough balance, really. Uh, I tend to just say, you know, hey, I'm feeling kind of off today, right? And, and kind of see how that sits with people, right? Or, yeah, I've, I've got some family stuff going on today, you know, just kind of these more general statements. Um, and, and then as my relationship progresses with them, I can be more and more open with them. But I, I think the biggest thing that we can do as leaders is validate their feelings when they come to us so that, um, and, and be open with our feelings as well, because that allows them to feel comfortable doing that, right? So a common example, uh, you get a phone call. I mean, every leader who's ever knocked doors has gotten this phone call, which is, hey man, my area sucks. I need new hood, right? And the common response is, Dude, it's not area. It's all in your head. You can do this. You can go sell. Mm -hmm. And I, I, first of all, I a hundred percent believe that that is true. Area is in your head. Like, I, I think you can work through it. There are, there are mental barriers you can work past, but what you do when you're saying that is you're telling that rep, your feelings don't matter. That rep's not going to feel heard. So that rep is going to go talk to someone else who will hear them. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a peer. And that's where you get these cancers started because then they know that they can't be heard by their team leader. There's no emotional validation there. They're going to start talking to anybody and everybody in their circle. Uh, and then the whole team feels like the area sucks. And then mm -hmm. it's the whole city that sucks mm -hmm. and uh, it can just spiral really down. But if, if you take the time to validate them, it's so powerful. Like in that situation, how, how would you approach that? Me thinking about it because I, I have these conversations all the time right like well i ask well what are you running into yeah and then we figure out what kind of what reason they think that the area is bad yeah and then we adjust like okay cool well when you go to these houses is there a common like i don't know like a common reoccurrence like do you see things on the exterior of the home that would make you think that this is that yeah. And then say, okay, cool. Well, then try avoiding those homes and start looking for these homes. Yes, you're going to be knocking a little bit more, but this is a, for me, I would say this is more of like a cherry pick neighborhood. So start cherry picking these homes. Yeah. In your experience, what, what, what would you do? Yeah. So the first thing that I'll do is, is validate how they feel. And what I mean by that is just acknowledge, like, it makes sense. You feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey man, my area sucks dude, tell me about it. What's going on? He's like, uh, every single person says it, that they can't afford it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that sucks. It makes sense. You would feel like the area sucks. If you feel like everyone's telling you this, right. Just telling them like, look, any normal person in your situation would feel that way. It's okay to feel that way. Uh, and then once you acknowledge that it's okay and understandable and that their feelings are real, that they're valid, then you can address, okay, what should we do about it? Right. And that's where exactly what you said comes in where you say, okay, so what is it that you're seeing most? Okay. You're seeing, um, that it's too expensive or that they don't have the money. Okay. 
what are some other things that you're seeing, right? And then you can start doing the deep dive into ways to overcome objections and stuff like that. But just taking a moment and saying a simple phrase as, as a, a phrase as simple as it makes sense that you feel that way. I've felt that way in the past. You're not giving them permission to, you're not agreeing with them. You're not saying you're right. That area sucks. You're saying your feelings are real. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like that because ultimately they feel like they care. And what going back to what you said earlier, it prevents cancers from spreading on the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that's huge. I don't think I've personally never heard it explained that way. And I've been doing this for almost eight years. That's, that's insane to me. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that is how cancers start. It's because they feel like they can't talk to you, right? Everyone is told to vent up. You have frustrations. You're supposed to go to whoever's above you in the org, org chart. And if they don't feel heard there, they're going to go elsewhere. We as human beings crave that feeling of being heard. So we're going to find it. Part of leadership that I've, that I've experienced and I've learned is being able to replicate your success. Being that we're leaders <clears throat> within the industry meaning, means that we do things a different way and we perform at a higher level. In what you've, in your experience, when you walk your reps through this thought process, I see that reps become more self-aware and I had this quote for my reps and it's almost like this, before you call me, before you text me, think about this, what would Rick do in this situation? And it forces my reps to think, okay, well, if Rick and I, I tell this to all my guys, like, Hey, if I can do this, anybody can do this. Like, you just got to think like, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. How have you seen your reps progression when they start figuring things out for themselves. Yeah. That's, that's ultimately why I switched to coaching because I, I love it. Right. That was my favorite part of my job at Ardent was helping people to come to these realizations, to start figuring things out. You know, when you see that, that wheel click, that light bulb turn on uh, and it changes their whole trajectory. It's so much, it's so fulfilling. It's one of the most fun things I've, I've ever done in my life. And so, yeah, the, the biggest thing is to help them to start identifying, um, you know, uh, I, I start with a lot of emotional work, a lot of mental work. And once they start realizing, Oh, wait, I'm actually not thinking this. I'm, you know, I'm not actually, you know, mad, or this isn't actually a bad area. Uh, I just feel like it is because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And, and separating truth from fact and all these sort of things that, that I work on with people. When I see that click, it's super exciting to me. And the reason I focus on leaders is because as leaders, we have the ability to impact so many people. And especially in this, in this industry, we have the ability to impact people who are really young. So we're changing not just their, their summer, we're changing their lives if we take that opportunity as leaders to make the most of it. And, um, so I love working with leaders, seeing that change when they say, Oh my gosh, I can be more emotionally present and that's going to help me sell way better. And it's going to help me be a better husband. It's going to help me be a better father and a better member of my church or of the community, right? Just figuring out these little things that apply, not just a door to door, but it'll apply to everything. That's when things start unlocking. And then, then they don't need me very much. They can start yep. doing it on their own. And, and that's, that's, yeah, uh, that, that's where it gets really fun. Yeah. I like that. So with that, I imagine throughout the years, I mean, going through therapy, counseling, all these different things, you know, at first, when you first hear it, it's super exciting, right? Like, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm going to start doing this. Just start keeping track of it. Me personally, I find myself more often than not. It's not that I, can't do it or i don't know what to do it's i'm you know i'm just not consistent you know yeah what do you how do you feel or what do you feel is the biggest tip for being a consistent good leader yeah great question consistency is everything in the door-to-door industry. And and I would say in most industries, um, one of my really good friends, 
his name is, is Jake Bennington. He's uh he's over mm-hmm. at uh, Aptive. Great guy. Yep. I know he, Jake. Love Jake. <clears throat> yeah. So he explained this to me really well, and, and I'll, I'll quote him on this. And he talks about consistency over intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and if you go to the gym with the expectation of I'm going to do, you know, 10,000 burpees, I'm going to run a mile, I'm going to do all these hard things. It can become really overwhelming and you end up not going mm-hmm. or um, maybe you go for the first couple of days and then it kind of pairs off. And his, his big thing is just show up. Right. Just, you know, if you're good, you know, to use this gym analogy is just go to the gym. Right. And, uh, he talks about that and it's true in my life as well, where there are some days where I will literally just go to the gym, walk on the treadmill for a couple minutes and then walk out. But it's more important to show up to have that consistency than it is to perform at a great level. Right. A day in the gym is better than no day at the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just so much power in that. So I guess what I, I do in this situation is I break it down to the minimum that I want to do every day. Right. Um, so reading the sales manual, I don't know how many times I tell people a day that they should read the sales manual. Everything that I know is in the sales manual, uh, because I wrote it, uh, and because, you know, it's full of, all the information that I learned from everybody else, right? It's not, it's not because I'm a genius. It's mm-hmm. because people have been doing this for a long time. It's all in the sales manual. Just read it. All the answers are there. And I, I don't know if they are all there, but a lot of them are. And, um, and so something as simple as that is I tell myself I'm going to open it every day. Mm-hmm. Or I tell myself I'm going to read at least one sentence in it every day. Mm-hmm. And just something super small, I, I, uh, to me, my, my qualifications is, so I'm, I'm narcoleptic, right? So I'll fall asleep like randomly anywhere and everywhere. And it is hilarious on the doors to fall asleep in someone's like front lawn and to get the cops called on you. <laughs> That's happened. Um, but so my, my, the question for me is, is this goal something simple enough that I would do even if I was about to fall asleep and I remembered I hadn't done it yet, right? Yeah. So I just set this super low bar of something that I can do every single day. And then over time, that consistent habit starts to build up. And then all of a sudden it's, I, oh, I can do five minutes of reading the manual every day without hesitation. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm about to fall asleep, I will pull myself out of a narcoleptic coma to go read this five minutes in the manual or whatever it might be. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, <clears throat> Jake Bennington, shout out to Jake. That's one of the biggest things that he taught me. It's the consistency over everything. Yeah. Um, that's all it takes. You know, if we read books like the compound effect, yep. it just, it just compounds over time. Ultimately that's, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Consistency in any facet of life, whether it's in the door to door industry, in your marriage, in relationships, in your career, it just comes down to the consistency. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, uh, yeah, I, I really love the simplicity of it, especially it, it's simple in nature. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a while to figure out uh, often what those things that you want to be consistent in are and, and how to do that. Um, we say a lot as leaders, trust the process, right? Um, I, I hear that in almost every company that I've, that I've worked with, Hey, trust the process. Mm-hmm. And People can't trust the process if they know that their leader's input isn't consistent because their leader's input is part of the process, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they can't trust the leader to be consistent in what they're doing, they can't trust the process. They're going to, they're going to start doing their own thing. Yeah. So there's, there's so much power, so much power in finding ways to be consistent. And that's why I I love working with leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, we can have such a powerful impact and a lot of it doesn't take extra work. It's just identifying those crucial things and, and working through them to, to make the most of, of your experience, especially as you get into, you know, regional status and beyond where you're working with so many reps and so many people have your phone number. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to juggle there and finding ways to do it in, in simple ways is, is really fun. 
I like that phrase you use, the, the simplicity of it. More often than not, I, I use this even like when I'm out selling solar and I'm comparing myself to other companies. Like, hey, all, honestly, people tend to overcomplicate something as simple as this. And it's very applicable to everything that we do. Yeah. More often than not, yes, we overcomplicate. We're looking for this grandiose thing, this new pitch, these one-liners, whatever it may be, or this complicated process that is going to guarantee a success. When more often than not, it's just as simple as doing the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the things, one of the things I work with all my leaders on is, is just eliminating things, right? what on your plate can we just get rid of entirely, right? Let's simplify this down or, you know, maybe start from the other point of if you could only do one thing this whole month for your region, what would that one thing be, yeah. right? Or this week, what's one thing that you could do and start with that. And then you can slowly start building on that. But we, we especially those who are in leadership, typically we're in leadership because we're really good. Uh, we're good at sales. We're good at leading. And because of that, people are always coming to us for help because they know that we'll get things done, either projects or we'll be able to help a rep like no one else can. There's mm -hmm. so many things that they rely on us and that becomes this, you become this sponge where everyone's coming at you. And so the better you are as a leader, as a sales rep, the more people are using your time and the more you need to be really intentional about what you're saying yes to and what you're not. Okay. That's smart. I like that. It goes back to setting these boundaries. Yeah. Part of that, I feel like it's almost having systems and processes that you just let run for themselves and, yep. you know, yeah. that we're not dealing with all this stuff. For me, the biggest thing <clears throat> that I've done is to avoid all the phone calls because now I have a ton of reps under me. Yep. And, you know, I have my page, I have family, I have customers like I, you and myself as leaders, we manage a lot. Yeah. And without systems and without processes, I think I would literally be like having panic attacks every day. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I, I like to help people with is, is just start recognizing what people are calling you for, right? So if you're getting 15 phone calls a week for area, well, maybe you need to put together a training on, on area. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there is a system or a process that you can put in place to reduce that, right? Mm -hmm. The greatest customers, you know, as I mentioned at the end of the podcast, I spent some time doing customer service uh, training. And the greatest customer service companies in the world are really good at reducing the amount of phone calls that they get by putting other things in place. Mm -hmm. And uh, you start to identify, hey, I'm getting these issues that are coming up, Um frequently what's a system in place that i can have so that i'm not the bottleneck for that anymore yeah and that's that's really cool to do i like that because then i just yeah it takes a little bit more time but it saves you time long term yeah and headaches yeah absolutely oh I'll and you'll like you'll that. you'll always want to have the personal touch and you want to be available to people and that's what that allows you to do mm -hmm. right creating those those systems, those processes allows you to have the one-on-one -on -one personal conversations um, when they're needed and uh, allows people to figure stuff out on their own. If, if it's, if you're not necessary in that moment, that there are times when you as a leader are not necessary there and that's okay. In fact, that's good. It's good for them. It's good for you to realize those moments. Yeah, dude. I like that. One of the things that I wanted to bring up is being, you know, um, in leadership as an executive with sales and traveling dude like how do you how do you do it man like <laughs> yeah. traveling traveling all the time like earlier when we met like this year alone i think i've taken like 67 flights yeah yeah it's crazy you fly i mean yeah you you know as better as, as well as anybody that traveling can is both really exciting and really draining at the same time mm -hmm. I, I love travel. Uh, I love to see new places. I love to see people. One of the reasons I love door to door is, is meeting new people. And um, I, I think the best way to get to know a culture is to go knock doors there. You want to get to know how people really act, go knock doors in their neighborhood, right? I always told people that I'd go knock the doors in my neighborhood before I ever bought a house to see what kind of neighbors I'd be dealing with. And mm -hmm. you really get to know people that way. But um, 
yeah, traveling has been really hard and really hard, uh, as a family member, uh, as a husband, uh, and as a father and the industry, we're starting to see older people in the industry, uh, older meaning almost 30, right. You know, it's, uh, the regionals, the VPs and stuff like that, especially they've been in the industry for a while. They've got families now and balancing that is really hard. So, uh, there are a couple things that I do that, that really help. Uh, I mentioned some of them earlier, right? So anything that I can do that I can consistently do for my wife so that she can count on that and my kids is really important. It doesn't have to be at a consistent time necessarily, but a trigger for myself and a trigger for them, right? Uh, not trigger in a, in a bad way, but a, a physical reminder, right? Every time I get on an airplane, I'm sending a video to my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Every time I get a sale, I'm going to text my wife um, or every day at lunch or whatever it might be, right? Set these cues so that even though your life is crazy, your family knows they can count on these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Give them something that they can count on. Yeah. Uh, that really helps with the family. Uh, something kind of random that, that I found out worked really well with, with young kids. For those of you that are traveling with young kids, traveling away from my wife is hard. Don't get me wrong, but... I can still connect with her over the phone, right? Yeah. I, I can talk to her and we can have great conversations no matter where I'm at in the country. With my two-year-old, it, it's not the same, right? He, you know, he's not very eloquent yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Although he does have his head net, his uh, his head nods down, which I'm very <laughs> proud of. I've taught him that. And, and all of my kids, one of their first words was like, sure. And they're all really good at head nods. So they're, they're just salesmen in the making. And I, I love that. But, uh, so one of the things I did with them is I would ask them what toy they wanted me to take with them. And then I would bring that with me when I'm traveling. Right. So my kids love airplanes, as I mentioned. So all of them have a, a, a toy airplane and then there's an extra one and they always have me take that. And then I'll, I'll take a video or a photo of me with that airplane at some restaurant in South Carolina or, you know, um, on the treadmill, uh, in the morning where I'm working mm-hmm. out, just something that shows the kids they can associate, Hey, I've seen that toy before. Uh, and I've seen him before. And it, it helps them to realize that it's, that it's real, mm-hmm. that that FaceTime is a real interaction with them. That was a really interesting, but really profound, uh, realization for my family. But for, for everybody, regardless of family travel can be really hard because your routine is all thrown up in the air. Mm-hmm. And we're creatures of habit. Uh, we like routines, especially uh, the higher up you get in leadership. Typically, the more routine you are as an individual by necessity. And then traveling just throws everything out the window. So I like to tie my routine to things that I can rely on, right? I can't rely on the clock when I'm traveling because I'm going to be in different time zones, different meetings, different teams have different schedules. It's going to be, you know, everything's kind of up in the air. I might need to meet with the technicians. I mean, there, there's so many things I could be doing, but I tie my routine to certain things, right? So for me, like when I'm flying, I don't work. And a lot of people do that, right? A lot of people read when they fly or they'll watch TV or I, I have intentionally set a rule that I will not work on an airplane so that I'm building in time for myself to relax mm-hmm. because I know as soon as I get off that airplane, I'm going to turn that phone on. I'm going to get a million text messages and I'm just going to be on the phone forever. So that has been something that's really important to me is to build my schedule around these cues that I can count on because I can't count on the clock anymore uh, when I'm traveling. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm super bad at that. I'm always working. (laughs) Yeah. And and most of us are, and that's how we get successful uh, is by working really hard. The thing that we have to realize is that if we want to continue to perform at such a high level, especially when added responsibilities are given to us, that we have to find time to unwind and we have to build that into our schedule somehow. Oh, true. true. With that, I I also think it's really important to make time for, for working out, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, if that's important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it is, I'm not, like a a Greek God over here or anything like that. I'm I'm not in incredible shape, but I do really get a lot out of working out. And so I will build that into my schedule. When I'm planning out my week, I'll schedule out my appointments. I'll make time to do a run. Even if it's only 30 minutes, you know, I'll go for a run Mm -hmm. or 
sometimes I'll be doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and, and lunges in the airport waiting for my flight. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but it's important to me and it, it helps me. So it's something that I make time for every single day. Interesting. I love that. So with that, Jake, I know we're a little bit short on time here. I appreciate everything we've talked to um, up to this point. Uh, one last question. If yeah. they're looking back at your career in door to door, we're looking at nine. Yeah. Nine years going on 10. That's insane, man. Yeah. A lot of experiences, a lot of stories, a lot of growth. If you can go back to when you first started from right now, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to yourself when you first started? <clears throat> yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to quote my man, uh, Bennington here again. <laughs> it, it would be that consistency. Don't, don't try to blow it out of the park. Don't stress about that. Just show up. Uh, and I mean that, um, meaning show up to your meeting, show up on the doors, but also, you know, if you have other goals outside of that, which you should like reading the manual, like just read the manual. Like <clears throat> I can get on a whole, whole soapbox about the manual, but uh, you know, like if, if that's your goal, just take a couple of minutes, set that aside, be consistent with that goal, do whatever it is that you want to do outside of your normal schedule that you feel like is going to help you be consistent with that. Even if that means I'm just, opening it for five minutes and I'm going to scan it, trying to find something, right? Just do something, just be consistent at that goal. So that's the advice I would give myself. Uh, just con that consistency, uh, it'll change everything. Yeah. Sweet. And one last thing, where can people connect with you on social media? Yeah. So I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Loveland underscore Jake. Uh, you can find me on all those platforms. Sweet. Awesome. And with that, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Peace.